All right, good morning. So uh, two and a half years ago, as Dan was just describing, I was a chaplain embedded with Naval Special Warfare, a.k.a. Navy SEALs and Navy SWIX. And uh, my team and I, we found ourselves in the wrong place at the wrong time, behind the wrong lines, and we were being hunted by the enemy. So we were on the run. After about four days with no food and mountainous terrain and several feet of snow chipping through ice creeks and streams to find water, uh, we were in temperatures from 12 to negative 22 degrees. Uh, we were finally captured. We were caught. Uh, we were stripped naked uh, right out there in the elements. We were humiliated, mocked, denied sleep, deprived of food, subjected to mental, physical, emotional torment of various kinds, and a barrage of uh, good cop and bad cop style interrogations, you know, the kind of stuff you, you see in, in Hollywood. After several days of this, uh, these extreme conditions, we were rescued. Um, we were released. Now, to be fully transparent with you, all of that did occur, but it occurred in the Navy Marine Corps SEER school. Uh, so SEER, S-E-R-E, stands for survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. Now, SEER school's main job is to train you for the worst case scenario because you have a job that requires you operate in forward deployed areas. Uh, those of us who graduated SEER school, we affectionately call it torture school or camp slappy. Um, so the main idea of SEER school, the main thing it is teaching you is to prepare for interrogation, to prepare for being captured and the physical, mental, emotional torment and torture tactics that you're going to be going through if the worst case happens. But ultimately, you're taught, trust the training. Trust the training. Trust the guidance. Trust what you've been given. You cannot rely on your own gut instincts or your own intellect or your emotions to get through that sort of ordeal. Because uh, when you've gone days without food and sleep, um, I can attest to this, you hallucinate. You lose track of time and space, and your mind goes all sorts of places. And so you have to rely on a set of principles, a set of instructions, and you have to stick to them. During a couple of my interrogations, um, I didn't do so well. Being the senior officer of my group, the oldest, the most educated, the most experienced, you would think that my background, experience, education, intellect would help me. And although in some instances it did, it, it also hurt me. And here's how, because in some of those interrogations where the mental trickery comes and the, the tactics that they use, I began to rest on and depend on my own intellect. And kind of what I thought I should do. I got a little cocky, a little arrogant. And on top of that, I was incredibly tired. And I wanted to just be left alone. I wanted to be back in my cell, which, to be frank with you, sucked. The cell was terrible. Uh, but it was better than interrogation, I assure you of that. You'd rather be in the cell than being interrogated. And so I just wanted to be back there and just be in my little bubble and just kind of do things my way and just let me get through this. The reality was that I, that wasn't an option for me. And after a couple of times, the instructors 
stopped dragging you out of the cell and started coming into your cell and doing things to you, you realize, uh, reality check, you're in enemy territory and you better act like it. And it's time to rely on the training and, and get over yourself. So SEER is a failure course. It's specifically designed for you to fail. They tell you that in the beginning. You're going to fail. You're going to fail a lot. But that's how you learn, and that's how you're going to find what you're susceptible to. And you get opportunities to rebound, to try again, to recover. And that happened. I rebounded like the rest of my comrades, and we graduated the course, and we all have stories to tell for a lifetime. And so... I'm pretty sure most of you in here are asking yourself, what does this have to do with me? I am never going, nor do I want to go to SEER school. And I would tell you, you sure don't. Um, But we all said it's the best training that you never want to do again. Now today, what does it got to do with you? Well, here's what it has to do with you. Everything to do with you. Everything to do with me, with all of us. You see, I want to invite you to think with me for a moment surrounding a few questions. I just want you to take them in and and ask yourself if these questions resonate with you. Do you ever feel interrogated or held captive by the culture and its demands on your life? Yeah? Yeah? Do you ever find yourself mentally, emotionally, spiritually just exhausted, just tired, just wanting to be left alone to go off into your own little space and just be there? Do you ever struggle to grasp the root cause, the deep root cause of your own reactions to the world? The reactions, your, your own emotions, where do they come from? Why am I responding or reacting this way to my spouse, to my children, to those with whom I disagree with politically or at work or my neighbor? You see, essentially, the question is I'm asking is, do you ever imagine that there could be better answers or better methodology of how we deal with the critical issues in our professional and personal lives? Is there not a better way we could respond to culture, to politics, to family, to friends, to coworkers, or have a better understanding and grasp of my own heart, my own mind, my own emotions? You see, during the weeks that followed Sears School, uh, a, a curious thing began to happen to me. Now, they tell you when you go into Sears School, you're going to learn a lot about yourself, and that's absolutely true. You learn a lot about your mental, spiritual state. Um, But God started to bubble something up in me, and it just started to come up. Um, And and God started to make this connection in me that something was very simple, yet profoundly convicting. I mean, it really started to hit me. So I'm going to be really honest with you today. I'm going to kind of bear something with you that God revealed in me. And I'm going to ask you to be honest with yourself as well, because my assessment from all of my experiences is that it's mostly true for most of us. And here it is. The average American Christian, me at the top of the list, regularly commits what I think are two fundamental errors in everyday life. Number one, first, we don't realize or acknowledge that we are in a spiritual battle. We don't realize or acknowledge we're in a spiritual battle. We're more concerned with comfort, with ease, with being socially acceptable, with fitting in, 
that we fail to recognize the many, many non-Christian worldview ideas and philosophies being thrown about in the culture that are shaping the way we think and feel. We especially don't recognize this or don't admit that in our own tribal affiliations, our political affiliations, our pop culture entertainment, our social media feeds, we are not recognizing or admitting where that is impacting us and influencing the way we think, the way we feel. You see, God revealed to me very personally that too often I failed to stay vigilant as a follower of Christ to recognize how Satan was using the culture and all the many influences swirling about to pull me away from God's word, to sow dissension, anger, envy, doubt, fear, anxiety, mistrust. The list goes on. You see, fundamentally, we have to recognize that Satan uses these tactics for one reason. I mean, his agenda is to degrade and diminish our spiritual growth, to pull us away from discipleship. That is what he's about. And secondly, the second critical error I think we make is I recognize in myself of how often I use the wrong tactics or the wrong methodology to address critical problems or issues in my life. Shamefully, all too often, when whatever comes up, whatever the issue may be, I will go to my own intellect, my own feelings, my own gut reaction about a situation. I'll grab the nearest and closest, most best-selling new author or Christian author or popular psychologist or some popular pop culture personality, what they say on the subject, or I lean to my professional, personal, or political tribal affiliations for what they say is the socially acceptable course of action in modern times before I engage in critical thought and prayer with God's word. If, my friends, if I do that at all. I don't know if you can resonate with that, if any of you are willing to admit that. The great scholar and author C.S. Lewis had something to say about this in his book, The Screwtape Letters. I'm sure many of you have read it before. All right, it's, it's a masterful satire on temptation. And Screwtape, the senior demon, and his junior demon nephew, Wormwood, so it's an entire series of letters of Screwtape writing to Wormwood and telling him how to get his man, his patient, away from the Christian faith, away from church. And so here's one of the letters. Screw tape, right into Wormwood, he says this. He says, your man has been accustomed ever since he was a boy to have a dozen incompatible philosophies dancing about together inside his head. He doesn't think of doctrines as primarily true or false, but as academic, as practical, as outworn or contemporary, as conventional or ruthless, jargon, Jargon, not argument, is your best ally in keeping him from the church. Don't waste time trying to make him think that materialism is true. Make him think it is strong or stark or courageous. That is the philosophy of the future. That's the sort of thing he cares about. Your business is to fix his attention on the stream of immediate sense experience and teach him to call it real life. 
My friends, is that not an accurate depiction of the world we're in right now? A.W. Tozer said it even more succinctly. He said, Satan's greatest weapon is man's ignorance of God's word. Biblical authors put it this way. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, we are aliens and strangers. This is not home. In military language, we say we're in the deployed battle space. We're forward deployed. We're operating in enemy territory. Psalm 23, the classic psalm that we all know, often referred to as the military psalm or the soldier's psalm, says, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. And then there's this curious line that most of us never really sit with. You prepare a table before me. Where? In the presence of my enemies. In my world, and what I do, we call that wartime language. 1 Peter 5 says, Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, we know Satan is not crawling around here with a pitchfork and horns waiting to eat us up, right? We all admit that. We acknowledge that's not going to happen today. But the flip side of that coin is we fail to acknowledge or recognize that we're actually in a spiritual battle and Satan's tools are temptation and ideas and trickery. And that's how he intends to devour us. For many of us, this is a reality check. For me, it was a reality check. In the Navy, especially in the special warfare community, we call it a punch to the face. Like this is a punch to the face of like, whoa, wake up and realize, Billy, your everyday life is surrounded by spiritual warfare. God's word repeatedly reminds us of this. Now I know for some of you in here, that may be a little over the top. For some on on one side of the aisle, you're like, this is a little too spiritual, Billy. It's a little over the top. It's a little extreme. You're, You're using hyperbole. You're using dramatics. You're just kind of going a bit too far. And then there's another group of you that's probably saying this is a little too simple. It's a little Sunday school-ish. I'm right there with you. Tell me more. Yet within that tension, we all have to recognize, realize, and acknowledge we are actually in a spiritual war. And we need to begin acting like it. Now, thankfully, God has something to say about this. We've already seen a few passages. But Christ himself can recognize and understand our circumstances. In Matthew chapter 4, as we all recall, Jesus was tempted. Right? He was tempted after 40 days of no food. Kind of like Sears school. Right? Jesus was tempted while he was tired, hungry, worn out. There's no mistake in there that Satan used that opportunity. But Satan typically uses three lines of temptation, generally speaking. Going all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Jesus and all of us in our times today, at work, at home, at play, in in our own churches. Number one, Satan tends to appeal to our desires, our passions, and our appetites. Now, you you know exactly what I'm talking about. All those things we think we need, think we want, and think we have to have. And number two, he appeals to our testing or doubting God. Is God really who he says he is? Can he really do the things he says he can do? Is God's word actually true and authoritative for my life? Can I trust him? 
And number three, an appeal to power, to possession, to position, and to popularity. Now, Satan's been using these tricks forever. Jesus understood the reality of his circumstances. He knew he was in a spiritual battle. He didn't use verbal judo techniques or mental trickery. He just went right back at Satan with the biblical worldview, the correct tactics. And he said to Satan, it is written. The Logos, I want you to think about that with me. The Logos, capital L, the word incarnate, the word made flesh, God himself used the word of God to fight back Satan. That should be prescriptive for us. The main idea today, if you walk out of here and you say to yourself, man, that guy's off his rocker and I didn't get anything out of that. If there's one nugget I do hope you walk out of here with, no matter what you think of me or the rest of this message is this. The biblical worldview is the reality check for your everyday life. The biblical worldview is the reality check for your everyday life. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles or your electronic device or whatever you use, or there's going to be scripture on the screen, to 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 through 5. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 through 5. And Paul says here, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, there's one caveat here I want to remind you of, is that Paul is not writing to an uneducated, uncultured audience. I know growing up, many times in my life, I would read these passages of scriptures and these interactions, and I thought, old, dirty, dusty, ancient times, so the people probably weren't that smart, and that's why they're using this language. But no, that's not actually the case. Right? The city of Corinth was a metropolis area, a center of educational and cultural influence. In essence, it would be like Paul writing to the city of Chicago. And so Paul was writing to an intelligent, cultured people. So he wasn't playing around with his words here. He was cutting right to the heart of the matter. And when he says, when he uses that phrase for our weapons of warfare, the word warfare, in the Greek, that means a strategic, grand, massive military campaign. A really large battle. Grand scale, large scale. Not a little skirmish over here on the side, not this little thing that's gonna go away tomorrow or later this afternoon. Like, massive military campaign. And he's saying, you all, you believers there in Corinth, that's what you're in the middle of. That's what I'm in the middle of. That's what we're all in the middle of. And then when he says, we destroy strongholds, you kind of ask, well, what are the strongholds? And he clarifies it for you. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. Arguments and lofty opinions in the Greek translates to, for us, it would be the same as saying, Modern reasonings, concepts, ideologies, philosophies, progressive thought. He was saying our battle, our spiritual warfare is against all the new ideas and all the contrary to God ideas that are floating out there in the marketplace that we all tend to grab onto and you need to be aware of them. That's the battle we're in. That's the battle we're in. Now, as Dan described, I have my doctor of ministry in worldview and culture and I don't want you to think that I am saying from up here today, Christians 
are anti-culture, because I'm not saying that at all. That's not my intent, that's not my point. So please hear me clearly, that's not what I'm saying. But after more than 15,000 pages of reading on the various worldviews and ideologies, philosophies, political systems of thought, worldview systems of thought that move and shape governments and people groups for the last few hundred years, I'm gonna tell you something as plainly as I know how. We, as American Christians, most often are woefully unaware of how Satan uses the culture to pull us away from God's word. We just do not do a good job of critically analyzing and thinking through what's going on in the culture and how it impacts us. Jeff Myers in his book, The Secret Battle of Ideas About God, cited some alarming statistics. After thousands of proclaiming practicing Christians were interviewed, here's the results. 61% agree with ideas rooted in New Age spirituality. 54% resonate with postmodernist views. Postmodernism is a system of thought that basically says you can't know right from wrong, no one can claim to know right from wrong, no one can know what one ought or ought not do. This, everyone's just kind of free for all to kind of do what they want to do and how they want to do it. 38% are sympathetic to ideas associated with Islam. 36% ideas associated with Marxism. And 29% believe ideas based in secularism. Now, back in 2012, when I was still on staff here at Christ Church, we had uh, the, the world-famous critical cultural critic, Oz Guinness, the author, some of you may know or heard of Oz Guinness, um, he came here to do a workshop for us. And he encouraged us to face reality of ministry in what he called the advanced modern era. I think we're pretty much in that now. We're in the advanced modern era. Now this was, you know, quite a few years ago, more than, what, 10, 11 years ago when he gave us this talk. And it's very applicable today. And here's what he said. He said, we need to use the right tools for faithful thinking and living, which were, one, first and foremost, we need to stand on biblical convictions. And then two, from that, we need to engage in critical cultural analysis. And he was saying this as believers. As believers. Trevin Wax, in the Christian Worldview Handbook, goes a little bit further. He says, of all the isms in the world, capitalism, socialism, progressivism, postmodernism, consumerism, relativism, pluralism, all sorts of isms exist in our world, each representing a different outlook on humanity, each with different opinions about the way society should function and how people should behave. Each of these begins with a simple idea. If we are to be biblical Christians, we must read the Bible in order to read the culture. It's important that we as a sent people evaluate the isms of the world in light of God's unchanging revelation. In other words, we read the Bible first so we know how to read the world news next. The Bible first, the world news next. And he goes on to say, we also read the Bible to know how to engage people around us with the gospel. To be good missionaries, we need to have our hearts and minds formed by the scriptures. At the same time, we need to understand how people think. The people we've been called to reach. So my friends, I've spent quite a few minutes to build this case for you intentionally. I want to really pull out and make you aware, although we're not against culture, but we need to be very cognizant, very aware of how the culture is influencing us and that we are actually in a spiritual battle. 
And so some of you are probably asking about this point, well, what do I do differently? Or how do I go about doing this? Well, I'm glad you asked. All right? So we're going to go there next. But as I said earlier, if everything else makes no sense to you, remember the biblical worldview is your reality check for everyday life. The biblical worldview is my reality check for everyday life. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Now, many of you may be familiar with this passage right off the bat. You're like, Ephesians chapter 6, that's the spiritual warfare passage. And you would be correct. Ephesians 6, 10 through 19. I see three practices we need to employ as believers. Three practices. Now, when I was serving with Navy SEALs and Navy SWIX, uh, if you've seen movies of any sort that have special operations personnel, and we all have these kits, these, this vest we wear that you can just load up all sorts of things on it. GPS, first aid kits, weapons, you know, satellite device. I mean, you name it. It's, it's stacked with stuff. All right? And we just call it the kit. It's just our kit. And we use that literally for in an operation, whatever you're doing, whatever your job is, it's loaded up with the stuff you need. But we also use it in just common conversation all the time. We could go to a training conference, go to some class, hang out with a mentor, and you come back and you say, oh man, I got some good information, man. I'm just gonna throw it in my kit. Throw it in my pack to use later. All right, so I'm offering you today three practices or three things to throw into your kit for you to use when you leave this place today. Number one, face reality trusting God. Face reality trusting God. Paul says in verses 10 through 12, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Nope. What do we wrestle against, Paul? Against the rulers, the authorities, and the cosmic powers over present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Going through seer training... They're constantly telling you, as I said earlier, you have to trust the training. You have to trust what you've been given will get you through. In the worst case environment, heaven forbid you actually find yourself in that circumstance. And here Paul is saying, believers, Christians, followers of Christ, you must trust that God is with you and that he has given you what you need to engage in the spiritual battle place. You got to trust it. You got to actually trust that God knows what he's doing, that Christ is there with you in the battle, and that he knows what's going on and how to get you through it. So you must, number one, face reality, trusting that God is there with you. Secondly, stand firm using the biblical worldview. Stand firm using the biblical worldview. In verses 13 and following, Paul says, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all, stand firm. Stand, therefore, with the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes for your feet, the readiness that's given by the gospel of peace. But in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. That's your offensive weapon, which is the word of God. So what is Paul saying here? Now, any pastor could 
probably do anywhere from three to six weeks worth of a sermon on this passage of scripture right here alone. Now that's not my intent today. There's a lot here and I know it. There's a lot I'm not diving into. But I want you to see, as we talked about the kit that I'm wearing, I actually have things in my kit. I have things at my disposal to fight back the enemy with. So I must actually use it. So as I stand firm in the biblical worldview, it means I must use the training. I must use what God has given me. I actually have to go out there in the world and use what God says I need to use. In Seer, we were taught the same thing. You can't just trust on your own gut, your own instincts, or what you think at the moment works. You have to rely on the training. There's a science behind it. All right? And Paul is saying here, believer, use the training. As followers of Christ, use what you've been given. You've been given God's word for life transformation and cultural engagement. Go and use it. Kevin DeYoung, in his book, Taking God at His Word, has something interesting to say about thoughtful engagement with the scriptures. He says, if we learn to read the Bible down deep into our hearts, across the plot line of scripture, all the way to the end of the story, and up to the glory of God in the face of Christ, we will find that every bit of the Bible is profitable for us. To affirm the sufficiency of scriptures is not to suggest that the Bible tells us everything that we want to know about everything. But, but, it does tell us everything we need to know about what matters most. So after we face reality trusting God and we stand firm with the biblical worldview, third, we prep with prayer. We prep with prayer. Paul says, In verses 17 through 19, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, more prayer, for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. My friends in Seer, we were taught constantly be in preparation for the next interrogation. When you're sitting in your cell or you're thrown in the back of a truck or a Jeep and you've got a hood over your face and you're bound up and you're tired and worn out and you're going from spot to spot or they're dragging you from place to place and room to room, you constantly must prepare mentally, emotionally for what's coming next and what you're going to do about it. In the military in general, we always use the phrase, prep the battle space. Whatever the training mission may be or the real world operation may be, it's prep the battle space. What do I need to pull this off? What do we need? And Paul here is saying, for the believer, prayer is our prep. He goes through this whole passage on spiritual warfare and then finishes up all about prayer. Be in constant prayer. So I ask you, do you prep with prayer? Before you send an email To that person in your workplace you don't like so much, do you prep with prayer? Before parents engage with their children, I've got four of them. Four of them, nine to 14. My family life is chaos constantly. There is never a dull moment. Sad to say, though, there are many times I react to my kids in ways I shouldn't react because I'm just reacting on my own gut feelings and emotions of the day because I have not prepped with prayer. My spouse 
she will tell you. So my spouse, I love her to death, Amy, she's uh, a bit of a type A, kind of like me, so that can create its own problems. But she tells me something, she'll say to me sometimes, like, I'm not talking to you right now because you're just not ready for this conversation. And the truth is, uh, she's right a lot. So I'm, I'm, I, wanna, I want you to think about that. I want you to ask yourself, do you prep with prayer before your most critical conversations, engagements, whether they be politically, personally, professionally, whatever they may be? Prep with prayer. Remember, we must have confidence as those claiming to be believers that the biblical Christian worldview is the reality check for our everyday life. Charles Lawless, writing on spiritual warfare inside the Worldview Study Bible, which I told the first service today, I'll tell you too, I encourage everyone to grab a copy of the Worldview Study Bible. Um, it's just straight, just middle-of-the-road, orthodox Christian thinking from the world's leading scholars. There's like over 100 and some articles in there on dealing with the cultural hot-button topics of the day from Scripture. All right? But here's what Charles Lawless says on spiritual warfare. He says, as followers of Christ, we are to wear the full armor of God. Proclaim the gospel to unbelievers and disciple believers. Taking on the enemy is not about a formula or a technique. It's about a lifestyle, a Bible-saturated, God-centered, Jesus-glorifying, spirit-filled, prayer-driven lifestyle. Now let that soak in for a minute. Is that you? You see, when I joined the Navy, it quickly became apparent, and anyone who's ever served in the military will tell you this, you did not get a job, you did not join a new vocation, you entered a lifestyle. Your world gets completely changed. I don't say that I'm in the Navy. Most of the time, if you're around me, you'll hear me say, especially if my family's around, we are in the Navy. Because that is the brutal fact of the matter. We are on call 24-7. Right now, I'm on 14 days of leave. But if something goes down, I'm going to get a call and they're going to say, you got, you know, one day to get home. That is the reality. As believers, do you realize you are in a lifestyle? You are not just a Christian commonly understood. It is supposed to shape everything about you. Now, can you imagine, just for a moment, if this really described your everyday life? God-centered, Bible-saturated, Jesus-glorifying, spirit-filled, prayer-driven. What would that look like? Now, I love this church. This church is the reason I am where I am now. So when I say to you, can you imagine this church getting better if you all did this, if we all did this? Imagine what that would look like, sound like, feel like if we embraced the fact, the reality that we're at spiritual war out there and all of our interactions with each other and the culture around us should be from the biblical worldview perspective. Just imagine what that would begin to look like. Imagine your marriages, your parenting, your workplace, your political engagement, your disagreements with people. It's okay to disagree with people, but what if it just looked better and sounded better? See, if this isn't you today, you're going, okay, Billy, you got me. I'm going to admit 
not publicly, but down inside, I'm talking to myself right now, that, that I really don't do this that well. Well, that's okay. Just like seer school, you get multiple chances to rebound and to learn and to grow and to adjust. We serve a God full of grace and mercy. Each day is a new day. Each moment is a new moment. As Dallas Willard once said, the average Christian should be expending grace the way a 747 does on takeoff, the way he expends fuel on takeoff, right? I mean, we should just be soaking up God's grace every day, his mercies every day to keep going in each moment and each opportunity anew. So today, maybe this is a reality check moment for you. We have a phrase we often use, especially in the special warfare community, you're never out of the fight. You're never out of the fight. You gotta keep fighting. So today, I want you to imagine what it would look like if you began to do this in your life, professionally and personally. If we would all commit to this, what could the culture begin to look like in this neighborhood and beyond? So I wanna offer you a challenge today. Now I realize that here at Christ Church, as Dan said, my, my wife was born and raised here. Her mother and father have been members here since the Butler School. Um, I worked here. I realize you're a church very much about invitation and thinking through things. But today, as a military chaplain, I'm going to give you a challenge. All right? I'm going to take the liberty of my position and what I do to speak to you the way I would my Marines and sailors. So today I'm giving you a challenge. The six by six challenge. Six days a week, six minutes a day. Now some of you instantly say to yourselves, why six, not seven? There's seven days in a week. You're smart people. <laughs> Got it. The seventh day, the Sabbath day, the Sunday, you get to take that day off as long as you're in church. If you're not in church, then you gotta make it a seven by seven challenge. Got it? That's the deal. That's how this works, okay? So the six by six challenge, your Bible, my Bible, is broken into little sections and subsections and many passages. We've all seen this, yes? You can read one or two of those in two to three minutes. It's not, most of it's not heavy reading. I don't encourage people, sorry, this is just me. I don't encourage people to read through the Bible in a year. I personally, this is my, this is me, I don't think that's very productive. For some people it is, but for most people it's not because then it becomes just checking a box to get done. I encourage people, sit with Colossians for three weeks. Sit with Ephesians for a month. Wrestle with Romans for a few weeks. Just read it over and over, digest it. So here I'm telling you, habit science tells us we often bite off too much, too soon, too fast and we end up failing. You guys know what I'm talking about when you, I'm gonna read the Bible 30 minutes a day and five days into it, you're like, I'm done. I'm, this is too much for me. It's okay to nod your head. We've all been there. Yep. So I'm saying take six minutes. Read a small passage and then take two to three minutes to pray about that. God, what are you saying to me here? What are you convicting me of? What can I take out there into the world, my family, my marriage, my parenting, my coworkers, my dating life, whatever it may be? How does this impact me out there where my feet go? Six minutes a day, six days a week. Remembering that the biblical worldview 
is your reality check, my reality check for everyday life. As I land this plane and close, I want, I want you to think about this. When you leave today, when you walk out of these doors and you go out in that parking lot, you are entering enemy territory. You are going back out into the battle space. Remember to face reality trusting God. Stand with a biblical worldview and prep with prayer. Blessings to you all. It's been my privilege to be here. We miss our home church, uh, but we're glad to be doing what God's called us to do. Amen.